I'm Brett Chang. And I am Jay Rosenthal, and this is your Peak Daily for Wednesday, May 11th, where we cover the biggest stories in Canadian and global business, finance, and tech, all in less than seven minutes. Brett, to start things off, nothing about global business, finance, or tech, but pizza in the zeitgeist of conversation in Toronto, Dave Portnoy was in town for a series between the Toronto Blue Jays and the Boston Red Sox and visited like a bajillion pizza places. Let's set our feelings aside about Dave Portnoy and let's talk about pizza. What's your favorite pizza in town? This is going to be the brewing of a controversy. Well, you know, anyone who knows me knows that my favorite pizza in town is a little indie shop called Pizza Pizza. And it's just, you know, it's consistent. It's the same everywhere you go. And it's nostalgic for me because it's the pizza you grow up on. It's the pizza you have at pizza day, lunches, at school. And so I don't know if it's actually the best, but it is genuinely my favorite because of the nostalgia. Uh, if I look at fancy pizza, I think Dave was right. North of Brooklyn's pretty good. What do you think? Well, I do like North of Brooklyn. I will eat pizza pizza, but you really are. It's really quite an answer you gave there. But I would be remiss if I didn't uh, say that my sister-in-law's pizza at 2 Team Matt down Adelaide. This is not a plug, but I do. That is my favorite pizza, both because we enjoy it with family, but also because it is delicious. I do love North Ooh. of Brooklyn. I know. I know. I do love North of Brooklyn. Um... <laughs> I do love North of Brooklyn. That, so I would say North of Brooklyn, Tutti Matti. And there is a place in the annex. This is not my favorite, but it is unique. It is a yeah. pizza place that also is a Chinese restaurant. And you can get Chinese food atop a pizza slice. And that is very unique. I'm not sure I'm recommending it, but I do like it. It sounds like you're recommending it. I'm going to have to give it a shot. It sounds terrible, but it feels like you've got to try it or you can make a make a judgment call. Yeah, I thought if you watch his pizza reviews, I thought he was pretty right. He had North of Brooklyn number one. He had Fatty Olive, a new yep. place, which I haven't also tried delicious. yet, but I hear is very strong. And so I think by and large, you got a rate maker. I always thought it was overrated. He gave that a lower score. So, you know, but here's the thing. People said there's no good pizza in Toronto. That is not true. There's good pizza to be had here. You just got to go find it. Yeah, and there's some places that were not on there. I, th I think we went to one called Tobacco and Salt in the East End, which is very good. Mm -hmm. He went to Descendant, which is, I think, off the Danforth, Descendant which looked good. really interesting. He also went to Ambassador Pizza near my house, which is Windsor Pizza, which I don't want to get into a fight with about pizza with people from Windsor because that is a tribe that is very tight-knit. I never knew that. Yeah, well, now you do, and they do not want to hear you say Pizza Pizza when you get there. So, yeah. uh, Brett, we'll let people decide for themselves, not Dave Portnoy, but... It was an interesting list with some interesting reviews. Brett, aside from Toronto pizza, what do we have for Peak Pals today? Pizza, pizza. It's just so good. Anyways, for our first story, face database. For our second story, stock split game. And for our third story, don't worry. For our first story, this week, Clearview, which is the surveillance company that rose to fame when the New York Times detailed how the company's facial recognition program scraped sources, including Facebook and Twitter, to build a huge image database. Well, they agreed to permanently ban most private companies from using its service under a court settlement in Illinois, this all according to The Verge. For those that don't remember, Brett, tell us about Clearview and give us a brief background into their controversial company. Yeah, well, I remember writing about this a lot during the pandemic, and so I'm pretty familiar with it. As you mentioned, Jay, over 3 billion images were compiled from public social media accounts and sold to everyone from police forces to financial institutions and private clients like the Bank of America and Walmart to help identify people. What's wrong with that? Nothing wrong with that, Jay. <laughs> now Clearview has agreed to permanently ban most private companies using its service under a court settlement in Illinois that alleged the, government, the company had built its business 
on facial recognition data that, well, surprise, surprise, was taken without user consent. Clearview declared in 2020 that it would stop working with private companies and individuals, but now is legally barred from doing so nationwide. The company can still work with U.S. federal agencies, of course, and local police departments outside of Illinois. And there's a Canadian connection here. So the technology was briefly used between 2019 and 2020 by the Ontario Provincial Police, officers in Halifax and Edmonton, and the RCMP's National Child Exploitation Crime Center. Now, we have to be fair here. And so it did result in a successful identification and rescue of two children. But in early 2020, companies like Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, and YouTube demanded Clearview stop scraping profiles for images, and investigations by provincial privacy authorities caused Clearview to stop offering its services in Canada entirely. And this is why the Illinois decision matters. Last year, Canada's Privacy Commissioner concluded that the RCP's use of Clearview's technology violated the Privacy Act, but noted that establishing limits on facial recognition technology remains incomplete as it is not subject to a clear set of rules yet. So Canada's law enforcement may have to look to Illinois when implementing new oversight functions, which will aim to make sure new technologies respect individuals' privacy rights. For our second story, the Stock Split Club just added a new and unexpected member, Nintendo. The Japanese game giant announced a 10-for-1 stock split to make the stock more affordable for retail investors. Not a great time for those folks out there, but at least they can buy some cheaper Nintendo. And this is a line that was written by the Peaks writer, Quinn Henderson. It's a me stock split What's happening with Nintendo's stock, Jay? I'm not even sure I understand that, so I'll... It's a me, it's it's a me Mario, but it's a me stock split you get it? Sure, uh, sure. I guess (laughs) I do, but stock splits have become popular amongst companies with quadruple-digit share prices like Amazon and Apple, but Nintendo only trades on the Tokyo Stock Exchange for about $563 Canadian. Still, the company believes the split will drive up investment and provide some relief in the face of a 20% decline in shipments for the Switch, which is its main console this past financial year. Nintendo also predicts a 9% decline in shipments and a 6% drop in net revenue for the next fiscal year. Now, some of this drop can be attributed to a general decrease in demand. The Animal Crossing boom of the first lockdown has subsided, Brett, but Nintendo cites a shortage of semiconductors and other vital components as the main culprit for shipping out, well, just fewer units. And rival console maker Sony, they also claim that semiconductor shortages caused them to miss shipping targets for PlayStation 5 consoles by more than 3 million units. I think it's still hard to get a PS5, believe it or not. Yeah, 3 million units is a lot of units. And here's why Peak Pals should care. Nintendo hopes his stock split is just what Dr. Mario ordered to give the company a boost ahead of a year of uncertain sales and industry-wide supply chain issues and help them get a Switch in the hands of everybody who wants one, including Brett Chang. I already have one. It's a me, stock split I still like that joke. Okay, well, you can use it every day and I still won't get it. And for our final story, when Russia invaded Ukraine, some cybersecurity experts spoke apocalyptically about the potential of an all-out cyber war, warning businesses to lock their digital doors and the general population to make sure their online presence was secure. Now, one British spy chief is saying that maybe we were just getting carried away. Brett, this is a strange walk back you don't hear very often. Why are some cybersecurity experts not as concerned as they once were? You know, I remember at the start of the war, people were telling me to take out cash. That's how concerned they were about our our cyber infrastructure. So here's what happened. The head of Britain's Signals Intelligence Agency, GCHQ, that's 
like the fancy CIA type thing in Britain. They told attendees at a cybersecurity conference yesterday that fears of so-called cyber winter, a totally online war that could happen, were perhaps overhyped. And this was all per the Financial Times. It's the modern day Y2K, but we had a right to be concerned. Russian hackers, both state-sponsored and not state-sponsored, have mounted cyber attacks against foreign countries since 2007 and factor into Russia's current military strategy with hackers carrying out over 430 cyber attacks against Ukraine just since the invasion began. A successful shutdown of U.S.-based satellite provider Viasat services in Ukraine could be considered the war's opening cyber offensive coming just hours before the invasion began on February 24th. But... Russian cybersecurity attacks against Ukraine have, by some counts, plateaued, and the Russians haven't carried out a large-scale attack that has caused significant damage to the Ukrainian economy, army, or population. Meanwhile, Western nations hyped up the growing capability and possibility of Russia launching direct cyber attacks against Ukrainian allies, but nothing notable has come to pass yet. So, Jake, does that mean that I can you know, finally change my password back to what I'm comfortable with, ABC123, or should I still keep it at, well, I'll kind of let you guess. Well, no, you should keep, you should go back to ABC one, two, three, Brett. That's for sure. But then I'll just use it to order pizza from pizza, pizza, but we're not out of the woods yet, Brett, though, not necessarily coming from Russia. While cyber attacks have been increasing as of late, including in Canada. And some analysts believe that Russia may be withholding its more sophisticated capabilities while focusing on other avenues of attack right now. And you know, there might be us elections coming up in November. So you never know what they have up their sleeve, Brett. Order it gets pizza on my own credit card. That's a perfect crime. Pete Pals, thanks for making us the most listened to and only daily Canadian business news podcast in the country. If you've got a second, why not follow this podcast on your app of choice and leave us a review. And if you want more Pete, make sure to subscribe to our daily newsletter at readthepeak.com. And as always, thanks to Bill Richardson, Critics Media Productions for putting together this episode. Thank you, Dale. And thank you, Brett. And Brett, I'm going to choose my words carefully as not to jinx a professional team in Toronto. There is a hockey game tonight. It's in Toronto. We're, we're recording this on uh, Tuesday night. It's the playoffs. And that's all I have to say. How's that? Go, let's go. I'll, I'll see. I'm, yeah, oh. I'm, that sounds great. I'm excited. Go, let's <laughs> go. Enjoy the game tonight, Brett.